Mark, this is Democracy Now! The number of martyrs who are under rubble is 1,000, according to the figures of the Ministry of Interior. Work is underway to extract them, though we don't have heavy machinery to do so. Israel is continuing to bombard Gaza for an 11th day as the humanitarian crisis grows with water, food and electricity running out in the besieged territory. As President Biden goes to Israel to show support for the Israeli government, we'll go to Gaza, where the death toll from Israel's bombardment has topped 2,800. We'll speak with the longtime Palestinian human rights lawyer Raji Sarani, a recipient of the Robert F. Kennedy Award for Human Rights, still in Gaza. We'll also go to Ramallah in the occupied West Bank to speak with Sari Bashi of Human Rights Watch and to speak with former Israeli peace negotiator Daniel Levy. His recent interview on the BBC went viral. The Israelis would say, well, look, you know, we are defending ourselves. We are targeting Hamas targets in Gaza. We are trying to put an end uh, to what we believe is a terrorist organization once and for all. Can someone credibly tell me that when the leadership of a country says we are cutting off food, electricity, water, all supplies to an entire civilian population that they're targeting militants? I'm sorry, these kind of lies can't be allowed to pass. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Gaza's humanitarian crisis has deepened after an 11th consecutive day of unrelenting attacks by Israel on the besieged Palestinian territory. Health officials say the latest Israeli airstrikes and artillery fire killed at least 71 people, including attacks on Rafah and three homes in Khan Yunus. The strikes in southern Gaza killed and wounded civilians who'd heeded Israel's order to evacuate the northern half of Gaza. Since October 7th, Israel's attacks on Gaza have killed 2,800 people, over a third of them children, a figure does not include an estimated 1,000 additional Palestinians trapped under rubble of homes and businesses, with no water allowed in Gaza and no fuel for desalinization plants. Residents have been forced to tap Gaza's only aquifer, which is contaminated with sewage and seawater. Fears are growing over the spread of disease as garbage piles up and sewage goes untreated. The U.N. reports 20 of 23 hospitals in Gaza are only partially operational, with critical shortages of fuel to run generators needed for life-saving medical devices. Painkillers have run out. Blood banks are running low. The World Health Organization says among those most at risk are 84,000 pregnant women in Gaza. As of Tuesday afternoon, the sole crossing point between Egypt and the Gaza Strip in Rafah remains closed, with Israel continuing to deny entry to a caravan of aid trucks lined up on the Egyptian side. This is Mariam, a British-Palestinian girl whose family spent days trying to escape Gaza. I'm, like, really in fear. And, like, every, every time I just have to have the thought of me dying in a bomb in Gaza, <laughs> like, it's, it's not a good thing. And, like, every place I go, I go run away and... I just find bombs and I find dead people and like maybe one day I'll end up like them but it's a really scary thing for me. 
More than 1,400 Israelis have been killed by Palestinian militants, most of them killed October 7th, when Hamas launched its surprise attack. On Monday, Israeli officials said 199 people are being held hostage by Hamas, about 50 more than previously reported. Over the weekend, hundreds of protesters gathered outside Israel's defense ministry in Tel Aviv, demanding an end to the violence and the safe return of the hostages. The United Nations Security Council has rejected a draft resolution calling for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. The resolution was introduced Monday by Russia and won the support of Gabon, Mozambique, the United Arab Emirates and China. Six countries abstained, while France, Japan, the United Kingdom and the United States voted against the ceasefire resolution. This is Russia's ambassador to the U.N., Vasily Nabenzia. Today, the entire world waited with bated breath for the Security Council to take steps in order to put an end to the bloodletting. But the delegations of the Western countries have basically stomped on those expectations. This week, Russian President Vladimir Putin is traveling to Beijing for talks with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Over the weekend, China's foreign minister said Israel's war on Gaza had gone, quote, beyond the scope of self-defense, unquote, and amounted to collective punishment, which is a war crime. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken returned to Israel Monday to continue talks with Israeli leaders, capping a weekend whirlwind tour of Qatar, Jordan, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Blinken said President Biden will depart for Israel today in a show of solidarity as Israel's military prepares for a ground offensive in Gaza. And make clear, as he's done unequivocally, since Hamas's slaughter of more than 1,400 people, including at least 30 Americans, that Israel has the right and indeed the duty to defend its people from Hamas and other terrorists and to prevent future attacks. Blinken said Biden would later visit Jordan for talks with Jordanian King Abdullah II, Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. Biden's trip comes after the U.S. Navy said it's dispatching a second aircraft carrier strike group led by the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower to the eastern Mediterranean in support of Israel. On Monday, thousands of Jewish Americans and allies marched on the White House to demand President Biden press for a ceasefire in Gaza. More than 50 people were arrested for nonviolent acts of civil disobedience. This is Eva Borgort, a leader of the group, if not now. Everyone here is going through unimaginable pain. And through that grief, we are determined to stop this genocide because we know the warning signs. And so we are blocking every entrance to the White House or as many as we can stay there for because President Biden has not been listening to the voices of American Jews and Palestinians and allies who are saying we cannot try the same thing that has not worked for decades here. On Capitol Hill, a group of House progressives has introduced a resolution calling on President Biden to push for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Missouri Democratic Congress member Cory Bush, who co-authored the resolution, said the United States bears a unique responsibility to exhaust every diplomatic tool at our disposal to prevent mass atrocities and save lives. We can't bomb our way to peace, equality 
and freedom, Congressmember Bush said. In Bridgeview, Illinois, just outside Chicago, mourners Monday laid to rest Wadia Al-Fayyum, a six-year-old Palestinian-American boy who was stabbed to death in an anti-Muslim hate crime. The boy's mother, Hanan Shaheen, was left hospitalized with serious injuries after Saturday's assault by the family's landlord, who reportedly shouted, you Muslims must die during the attack. The landlord appeared in court Monday to face murder charges. This is Deanna Othman, a Palestinian-American high school teacher and community member who attended the funeral. We're seeing the repercussions of the rhetoric that our government has been spouting and that, you know, a lot of media has been spouting regarding Palestinians, um, painting them as, you know, less than human. And so, unfortunately, this young boy has paid the ultimate price for that. Ohio Republican Congressmember Jim Jordan says he believes he has the 217 votes needed to become the next Speaker of the House when representatives gather for a floor vote today, with all 212 House Democrats united behind New York Congressmember Hakeem Jeffries. Jordan can only afford to lose four Republicans. Jordan founded the far-right House Freedom Caucus. He currently chairs the House Judiciary Committee. The House remains at an unprecedented standstill, while Republicans are unable to agree on a new Speaker. The Biden administration's reached a long-awaited settlement in a landmark class-action lawsuit brought by the ACLU and migrant families separated at the U.S.-Mexico border under former President Trump. If approved, the settlement will bar the federal government from enforcing a blanket policy to separate migrant families for at least the next eight years, only allowing the practice under limited circumstances. The deal also includes relief for migrants affected by Trump's zero-tolerance policy, including permission to remain in the United States, access to legal services and work permits, medical and mental health care for families dealing with trauma and housing benefits. The ACLU said at least 4,500 children and their families will be impacted by the settlement. ACLU lead attorney Lee Gallant said in a statement, quote, while no one would ever claim that this settlement can wholly fix the harm intentionally caused to these little children. It's an essential beginning, he said. President Biden's himself faced backlash over harsh border and immigration policies, which have also led to the separation of asylum-seeking families. To see our coverage, go to democracynow.org. In California, a 29-year-old asylum seeker from Guinea has reportedly died while being held by U.S. immigration officials in an open-air detention camp along the San Diego border. U.S. Customs and Border Protection provided few details of what happened, and a cause of death has not been determined. Immigration and human rights groups had repeatedly warned of heat waves and other dangers faced by thousands of asylum seekers, including babies and toddlers, detained in the outdoor Border Patrol desert camps near Jacumba Springs. The agency has been accused of failing to provide adequate food, water, hygiene products, and medical care. Erica Pinero of Al Otro Lado said in a statement, quote, this is the first death, but will not be the last if Border Patrol continues to use these camps in a futile and inhumane attempt to deter migrants rather than process them expeditiously, she said. And in Virginia, at least three environmental activists were arrested Monday after locking themselves to equipment, temporarily shutting down the construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Dozens of protesters descended on the site yesterday for the peaceful action. For the water we drink! For the water we drink! For the place that 
Among those arrested Monday was indigenous lawyer and activist Tarahouska. The controversial $6.6 billion pipeline would go through Virginia and West Virginia and carry 2 billion cubic feet of fracked gas across more than a thousand streams and wetlands in Appalachia. The project has long had the backing of powerful West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, the biggest recipient of fossil fuel money in Congress. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez in Chicago. Hi, Juan. Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. The death toll from Israel's bombardment of Gaza has topped 2,800 after Israeli airstrikes killed at least 71 people in the southern Gaza Strip. The attacks came just days after Israel ordered residents of the northern Gaza Strip to head south. Gaza's civil defense force estimates at least 1,000 Palestinians remain trapped under rubble from recent Israeli strikes. The number of martyrs who are under rubble is 1,000, according to the figures of the Ministry of Interior. Work is underway to extract them, though we don't have heavy machinery to do so. We are exerting individual efforts by civil defense personnel with some excavators. From Gaza Valley until the governorate of Rafah, there are only two excavators working. And in each operation, an excavator gets damaged and we postpone taking out martyrs until we fix it. Earlier today, the Gaza Ministry of Health announced Gaza's only oncology hospital. The Turkish-Palestinian Friendship Hospital will be forced to close within 48 hours due to a lack of fuel. On Monday, UNRWA, the UN-Palestinian Refugee Agency, warned that Israel's siege is having a devastating impact on civilians. No supplies have come into Gaza since the 7th of October. Nothing. No fuel, no food, no water, no other types of assistance. No supplies have gotten into Gaza since the 7th of October. That I can confirm. Not for UNRWA and not for other UN agencies. There continues to be no water for the vast majority of the population in Gaza. We're talking about two million people in the Gaza Strip who do not have water. Um, and water is running out and water is life and life is running out of Gaza. On Monday, U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken announced President Biden will visit Israel Wednesday to show support for Israel following last week's surprise attack by Hamas that killed over 1,400 people in Israel. During the attacks, Hamas and other militant groups seized as many as 250 hostages, most of whom are civilians. On Monday, Blinken said a deal is being developed to resume the delivery of some aid to Gaza. To that end, today and at our request, the United States and Israel have agreed to develop a plan that will enable humanitarian aid from donor nations and multilateral organizations to reach civilians in Gaza, and them alone, including the possibility of creating areas to help keep civilians out of harm's way. It is critical that aid begin flowing into Gaza as soon as possible. 
President Biden is also expected to travel to Amman to meet with Jordan's King Abdullah, uh, the Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, and the Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. Biden has so far refused to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. And on Monday, the U.S. voted against a ceasefire resolution proposed by Russia at the U.N. Security Council. On Monday, more than 50 protesters were arrested at the White House in demonstrations calling for a ceasefire. The protest was organized by Jewish voice for peace and, if not now, the head of U.S. Central Command, Army General Michael Carrilla, flew into Israel today as the United States continues to rush ammunition, air defenses and other weaponry to Israel ahead of a possible Israeli ground invasion of Gaza. We go now to Gaza City, where we're joined by Raji Sarani. He's the award-winning human rights lawyer and director of the Palestinian Center for Human Rights in Gaza. He's also the 2013 Right Livelihood Award laureate. He's on the executive board of the International Federation for Human Rights. He received the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Award in 1991, also twice named an Amnesty International Prisoner of Conscience. And years ago, when he was denied entry into the United States, it was former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, among others, who advocated on his behalf to secure a visa. On Monday, he shared this message with his friends, quote, good morning from Gaza. The most wonderful city I loved and wished to end my life on its soil. Terrible and unbelievable, the criminality. We did not sleep from the bombing, freedom and dignity so costly, and we are ready to pay our lives for it. No right to give up. I am so proud of my people. Unbelievable courage and strength. Keep the strategic optimism. Love and hugs to you all, my friends. Raji Sarani, you're in Gaza City. We spoke to you a week ago. Um, you have remained in Gaza City, which is in the north of Gaza. You have not moved south. Can you talk about what's happening in your city and why you've chosen to remain there? Hi, Amy. You know, I mean, Gaza... 85% of its population are refugees, and they suffered the Nakba in 1948. And there is the conscious and subconscious of Palestinians having always the Nakba in their minds and hearts. And what Prime Minister Netanyahu asked people of Gaza day one, he asked Gaza to leave his Minister of Defense, he said, no electricity, no water, no fuel, and no food. And from the first minute for their reaction, they began to bomb everywhere and made sure no safe haven in Gaza. Much more than that, they were targeting civilian and civilian targets. And later on, they asked people in the north of Gaza to move to the south, as if the south is the safe haven. But when people even, hundreds of thousands of them, moved to the south, the Israelis bombarded them. More than 170 were killed en route to the south. The last two days, the south have had the hell of bombing 
and the concentration of bombing of the Israeli F-35 and the smart bombs of GBU-31, 32, 37, the most smart American bombs are targeting everywhere. So, so they left nothing, nothing. Why should we be good victims for criminals who do war crimes at the daylight in the front of the whole world and the world is watching? I, I, I cannot be, you know, good victim for the Israeli criminal occupation in this sixth war launched against us after a blockade of 16 years and after occupation of 55 years. After 75 years, we have no right as a Palestinian to do another Nakba. We will resist that because we knew the disaster which came to the Palestinian people 75 years ago. Israeli criminal, their criminality, it's not a secret. It's aired at the real time and the whole world watching it. And those who are backing it politically, militarily, are complicit and part of the crime committed against Palestinian people. And Raji Surani, how are the people, uh, uh, you and others, surviving without water, without electricity, uh, without fuel? I'm proud of my people because with all the mighty of Israel, the strongest army on the Middle East, towards Gaza, the 365 square kilometers, and after a blockade of 16 years in the most dense populated area on Earth, which is lack of everything, they are still strong, still surviving. They didn't give up. They have no right to give up. And they are managing. We have this everywhere, in the streets, and the sky, and, 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 and the death coming from the sky, from the sea, from the archery, everywhere. I mean, there is death and destruction. With that, I mean, people having super fantastic social solidarity, and, and they are trying, I mean, to resist this aggression once and again. We have no right to give up. I'm very proud that I'm Gazan. I'm very proud I'm Palestinian. I'm very proud that we are not good victims for criminals. And when you hear the report now that a President Biden, in the midst of this colossal war crime that is being committed, is going to travel to Israel? I don't know why he and Mr. Blinken insisting on bringing humanitarian aid as if we are animal farm and all what people need, food. I'm telling you, 1,200 children have been killed in Gaza. 950 women have been killed in Gaza. 
more than that, we have 7,000 injured people who are hundreds of them in very critical conditions. We are having 1,200 under the ribbon. People cannot uncover them because we have no means to, to uncover them uh, in Gaza. And the civil defense was bombarded and seven of them uh, has been killed. Uh, more, more, uh, I mean, even hospitals were asked to evacuate. To evacuate to where? Like you are imposing this penalty, imposing this penalty on injured people who are treated in, in, in the hospitals. And thanks God, I mean, doctors, nurses has the courage to say, no, we are not going to evacuate Bomba, Bomba. And, 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 and they are, you, you know, doing all this horrendous act. Is this the most moral army on earth who bombed schools of UNRWA used as shelters with thousands of people? Is this the most moral army who cut water, electricity, food supplies on civilians? Is this the mighty Israel? International law, international humanitarian law, and the human rights, it's there to protect civilians at the time of war. That's why Geneva Conventions are there. That's why Rome statutes are there. That's why ICC is there. I mean, civilians need protection. They need to have a safe haven, but not only food. We have a prolonged occupation. Nobody talking about occupation. We have crimes on our skins, on our beards. The deaths of people in obscenity way, I mean, Israel dealing with it. And then... I mean, this is Lincoln and Biden bringing some food and medicine to the animal farm. We want dignity. We want the freedom. We want the end of the occupation. That's what we want. They have to stop these atrocities. And that if there is something called a free world, civilized world, should call for. Why you have supported Ukraine, because Russia invaded and occupied Ukraine. They give them political support. They give them financial support. They give them military support. And they ask Americans and Western Europeans to go and fight for the freedom of Ukraine, to end the occupation of Russia. We are occupied 55 years. The Nakhlas in 75 years. We want to have an end for this occupation. We are not the criminals. No just or fair occupation on earth. All international human rights organizations, name it, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty, Euromed Human Rights Network, FIDF, even Israeli leading human rights organizations, Bitsaden and others. They said we have to hold Israel accountable for the crimes they are committing and doing, even before this war. With this war, I believe 
Mr. Biden, what you should say, stop this aggression promptly, immediately. Stop attacking civilians. End the occupation. Give the Palestinians dignity, freedom, and their independence. That's what we want from the free world. We don't want, want one more bag of flour. No. We want the end of the occupation. We want dignity and we want freedom. We're sticking with you, Raji. It's a little hard to understand as you speak on the phone, uh, but rarely do media organizations have people on the phone from Gaza. It becomes increasingly difficult to hear um, what is happening on the ground there. So we appreciate and will uh, at democracynow.org, the transcript of this conversation will be available. I wanted to ask you about the State Department memo that was revealed, warning diplomats not to use the word de-escalate. Um, and an Israeli military um, strategist saying, our goal isn't turning Gaza City into a parking lot. Our goal is to turn Gaza into a Hamasless region. Can you respond to that, Raji? Hamas, Fatih, PF, PFLP, Jihad Islamic, Combatant. They are part of resistance. Israel has a problem with them. We have no problem. There is rules of engagement between military. We have no problem with that. The real, real serious problem. It's not that Israel engaging with these. They are revenging from the civilians in Gaza. What hospitals, schools? houses, towers, has to do with Israel, with the attack which had happened. What 1,100 children has been killed has to do with the attack. The woman has been killed. Those who are under rebels and, and, and under destruction and unable to be recovered. Why, why patients cannot, I mean, receive all this? Why our faith and destiny to stay under occupation? Everybody should think about the root causes of death. There is an occupation by Israel. This occupation committed many, many crimes. It's the most well-documented conflict in history. And there is an open investigation at the ICC. And the prosecutor, Mr. KK, Karim Khan, didn't move one millimeter. Why would Putin, in one year, he gave warrant to be arrested? And lies of sanctions, liars of sanctions, has been imposed on Russia in an unprecedented way. Now, with Israel... Everything is okay. Our blood is obscene. They have the right to kill and destroy us. Not to destroy what's happening, even destroy our tomorrow. It's shame on the West to support such a criminal country who do these war crimes. We cannot be like old Rome. In old Rome, there was rule of law, for masters, not for slaves. Palestinians are not the slaves 
of the 21st century. We will not accept that. We will die with dignity and the bride, but we are not going to be killed according to the Israeli army orders and instructions. Uh, and Raji, we have heard now for a week that the Rafah crossing from Egypt into Gaza uh, will be opened, uh, but it continues to be closed. Uh, what is, what are you hearing about why it has taken so long to allow some, the, the, at least the most injured and those who are most vulnerable to uh, uh, leave Gaza? Egypt knew the real intentions of Netanyahu. They knew that the real ultimate goal of this to push all Gazans, the 2.4 million people towards Sinai and Egypt. And they cannot be complicit part of this crime. And they closed the border from their side because they don't want Gazans to leave there. The Israeli orchestrated bombing, the level of bombing, the, the, the architect of bombing, pushing people towards the south, towards Egypt. And that's why Egypt, I mean, closed that. Israel wants the border to be open to make Gazan leave. Most of the Gazans won't leave, won't leave and Egypt understood this is the Israeli plan. That's why they blocked it. And they said, if you want to open the crossing, I will only do that if you allow the humanitarian aid coming to Gaza. Raji. Israel doesn't want the humanitarian aid to come to Gaza. And they bombed and, 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 and uh, Rafah crossing twice. Sorry, Amy. Yes, it was just bombed again, the area leading to Rafah uh, today. Uh, we just have 30 seconds. But just to understand, are you going to leave Gaza? Are you going to leave your home? The last time we talked to you, your house was shaking. They had bombed uh, the Islamic University nearby. Um, what are your plans now? On my body, I have no plan. I'm here like an olive tree. We will never leave our homeland. I'm eight generations, I'm, I'm eight centuries. My family, I mean, living in this part of the world. I'm not going to reward Netanyahu by leaving because he threatened of that. They can bomb us, they can kill us, but they cannot take the love and the justice from our heart and mind. We are defending just fair right cause. We know dignity and the freedom so costly. We will fight for that. Raji Sarani, I want to thank you for being with us. Award-winning human rights lawyer, director of the Palestinian Center for Human Rights in Gaza, recipient of the Right Livelihood Award and the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Award, speaking to us from his home in Gaza City. Please be safe, Raji. Next up, we go to Ramallah in the occupied West Bank to speak with Sari Bashi of Human Rights Watch. Back in 30 seconds.
We are Palestinians by the Palestinian singer Dalal Abu Amna, who has been arrested by Israeli forces in the West Bank after she shared a social media post in support of charities working in Gaza. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. We head now to Ramallah in the occupied West Bank, where Israeli soldiers and settlers have killed at least 55 Palestinians in the West Bank since Hamas's surprise attack on Israel October 7th. Israeli authorities have also arrested over 700 Palestinians, several prominent lawmakers, including Aziz Dweik, the Speaker of the Palestinian Legislative Council. To talk about the situation in the West Bank and the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza, we're joined by Sari Bashi, program director at Human Rights Watch, co-founder of Gisha, the leading Israeli human rights group promoting the right of freedom of movement for Palestinians in Gaza. Um, sorry, if you can talk about uh, the entire situation, the imminent invasion of Gaza, you just heard Raji Sarani, and also talk about what's happening in the West Bank in the last year, uh, approximately, it's a bit more, but a Palestinian a day has been killed since the beginning of the year. Yes, thank you. And I'm sorry to say that since October 7th in Gaza, Israeli airstrikes have killed on average 100 children a day. And that's the statistic that stays with me. So um, this latest escalation began on October 7th when Hamas-led fighters entered uh, Israel and committed unspeakable war crimes against Israeli civilians. They massacred partygoers at an outdoor dance party. They entered homes, uh, in some cases burning the homes, in other cases shooting families. And they took hostage uh, men, women, older people, children, people with disabilities. Appropriately, the U.S. government and people in the United States condemned those acts because they were unspeakable crimes against civilians that have no justification. So the answer cannot be for the Israeli government, with the backing of the American government, to then target and harm civilians in Gaza. I'm particularly concerned about the collective punishment of civilians in Gaza. Um, the Israeli military cut food, electricity, water, and fuel supplies on October 7th, uh, which is contributing to the humanitarian catastrophe. And the Israeli military is engaging in, um, is dropping explosive weapons in densely populated areas with wide area effects. So when you do that, when you drop bombs on uh, crowded urban centers, it is predictable that you will kill civilians. It is predictable that you will kill children. And that's what's happening. Gaza is the size, about the size of the U.S. city of Philadelphia. It's 2.2 million people. Nearly half of those people are children. And that's something that we need to see more of the United States government addressing. We've heard thus far um, general uh, comments about the need to respect international humanitarian law. We need very specific directives for the Israeli government to immediately restore food, fuel, electricity, and water supplies, and to stop dropping weapons in densely populated civilian areas. And sorry, Bashi, I wanted to ask you, the Prime Minister Netanyahu has urged the Palestinians in Gaza uh, to uh, to flee to Egypt if they uh, if they want to avoid uh, the the horrors of the bombing and the invasion uh, isn't this itself uh, 
uh, a form of ethnic cleansing. After all, Israel is not telling the Palestinians, hey, if you want to escape the bombing and the invasion, move into into Israel or be transported to the West Bank. After all, uh, even Putin in his invasion of Ukraine ended up admitting 1.2 million Ukrainians into Russia to avoid the the worst uh, uh, impact on them of the of the war itself. So the first thing to say is that the countries that are neighboring Gaza, Israel and Egypt have an obligation to open their borders and let people who are fleeing for their lives enter. Not to do that of risks violating the principle of non-refoulement. When you have mothers with children who are trying to save their children's lives, Israel and Egypt need to open their borders and let that happen. But the Israeli evacuation order risks forcible transfer. Um, The Israeli military has called on half the population in Gaza in the north to go to the south. And Israeli military officials have also called on um, people in Gaza to flee to Egypt. Now, for people in Gaza, Gaza is 70 percent of the people living in Gaza are refugees from what is now Israel. Some of the older people who fled Friday, Saturday from northern Gaza to southern Gaza, they remember fleeing the Israeli army 75 years ago. They remember the homes they left behind and one is now Israel. And they remember that they were never allowed to come back, Um, although international law defends the right of return for all refugees, whether they're Ukrainians trying to resume uh, to to return to areas that have been liberated from Russian occupation or under Russian occupation or people from Gaza coming back after the army has left. My concern is that while it's it's acceptable and in some cases advisable for warring parties to issue warnings, Those warnings are only effective if there are safe ways for civilians to avoid harm. So when you tell half, when you tell a million people to evacuate, but there's no safe place to go to and no safe way to get there, that's not an effective warning. And another thing that the the United States government should do very clearly is to call on the Israeli government to cancel the evacuation order and to take all measures to protect civilians who remain in the north. There are many people, men, women, children, older people, people with disabilities, hospital patients who either cannot or will not leave the northern Gaza and they retain their protections under international law. And could you talk to us about how Palestinians in the West Bank are being impacted as a result of the uh, continuing uh, uh, the continuing conflict in uh, in Gaza? So here people are mostly worried. Um, There have been road closures. Workers have not been allowed to enter Israel for their jobs. Um, There have been uh, increased military activity in the West Bank, including incursions and arrests. Um, You mentioned arrests of people who expressed support for the attacks on October 7th. Businesses who uh, engaged in that have been closed at night with the Israeli army coming in. For the most part, people are worried. Um, All of this is unprecedented. The attacks that Hamas-led fighters committed against Israeli civilians on October 7th are unprecedented. It was the worst massacre of civilians in Israeli history. And the level of harm, targeted harm, that the Israeli military is inflicting on civilians in Gaza is also unprecedented. At Human Rights Watch, we're trying to hold open a narrow space for universal basic principles of humanity. It is never okay to commit unspeakable war crimes against civilians, as was done in southern Israel on October 7th. And that in no way justifies committing war crimes against civilians in Gaza. And for Americans who 
are confused by all of what's going on, I would suggest you just remember that very basic principle that civilians need to be protected and then encourage your elected representatives to remind the, Ameri the U.S. government of that principle. Because the United States government is providing $3.8 billion in annual military aid to Israel, and it's rushing even more weapons here right now. It has a responsibility to rein in the attacks on civilians, to call on Israel to cancel the evacuation order and protect civilians in Gaza, and to immediately restore humanitarian supplies to civilians. Can you talk about the difference between your experience on the West Bank and as, as an Israeli Jewish lawyer and your husband's experience as a Palestinian professor, a resident of Ramallah, for people to understand? And also this issue, you know, Jake Sullivan recently said just a few weeks ago, Biden's national security adviser, uh -huh. that it's been quieter in the Middle East than um, any time in 20 years. This is the time that at least a Palestinian a day was being killed. And talk about settlers and the army. Yeah, I think part of the concern, and I know Raji was addressing that when he talked about root causes, is that some of the root causes of the violence, including what Human Rights Watch and many other groups have called apartheid, are invisible to U.S. policymakers. Um, we have a situation where U.S. policymakers are very busy brokering normalization deals between the most right-wing Israeli government in history and dictatorial Arab governments, and it's not paying attention to what's happening on the ground. For decades, the Israeli authorities have engaged in systemic repression of Palestinians, including not allowing people in Gaza, refugees in Gaza, to return to their homes in what is now Israel, and including a punishing closure for the last 16 years that has not allowed um, appropriate supplies to enter and leave Gaza and has not allowed people to travel. And that's part of the reason why people in Gaza were so vulnerable even before this violence began. In addition, the Israeli government is privileging Israeli Jews over Palestinians. And that's the essence of the crime against humanity of apartheid. When you um, commit inhumane acts and engage in systemic repression in order to privilege one group over another. So I'm, I'm Israeli Jewish, American as well. My partner is Palestinian. And I can do things that he can't do. Um, I can travel quite freely, and even though his mother is a refugee from what is now Israel, he can't pass areas that are off-limits to Palestinians. I have um, excellent rights, I have health, there are cities in Israel being built for Jews only, and also in the West Bank, settlements being built for Israeli Jews only, while Palestinians are hemmed in, unable to build cities, and their homes are being demolished for lack of permits that are almost impossible to get. Um, the Israeli authorities are engaging in forcible transfer where they remove Palestinian communities in the West Bank to make room for settlements. All of these are part of the root causes of the violence. And if the only thing I can hope is that U.S. policymakers will realize that uh, it's not quiet here. There's terrible abuses going on. You just have to listen to what people on the ground are telling you and adjust accordingly. No U.S. policy toward Israel-Palestine will be successful if it doesn't address the abuses on the ground, first, second, and third. 
Sorry, Bashi Wuna, thank you for being with us. Program director at Human Rights Watch, co-founder of Gisha, the leading Israeli human rights group promoting the right to freedom of movement for Palestinians in Gaza. Next up, we go to a former Israeli peace negotiator. His recent interview on BBC went viral back in 20 seconds. This is Democracy Now! That's Rahwan by Hayazatri. DemocracyNow.org, the War and Peace Report. Critics of the mainstream media's coverage of the Israel-Hamas war say a key problem has been its failure to challenge the dominant narrative from Israel that's, that its military response in Gaza is targeting Hamas. Former Israeli peace negotiator Daniel Levy recently challenged BBC News presenter Mariam Moshiri on this point. He'll join us in a minute. First, the clip of their exchange, which went viral. The Israelis would say, well, look, you know, we are defending ourselves. We are targeting Hamas targets in Gaza. We are trying to put an end uh, to what we believe is a terrorist organization once and for all. Do you really keep a straight face when you say that? Do you think terrorist organizations embedded in populations who are denied their most basic rights are ended once and for all in a military campaign? Does that happen in history? Can someone credibly tell me that when the leadership of a country says we are cutting off food, electricity, water, all supplies to an entire civilian population, that they're targeting militants? I'm sorry, these kind of lies can't be allowed to pass. And when you tell yourself the lie, it leads to the wrong policy. If anyone told me that what the militants did on the weekend was a legitimate response to years and years of occupation, I would say, no, you're wrongheaded. You've lost sight of humanity and reality. And if anyone tells me that what Israel is doing in Gaza today is a legitimate response to what happened on the weekend, it's exactly the same. And yet they are saying it. And yet the international community is yes, saying and that. Yes, and people need to challenge them on it because it's a lie. And we're warmongering if we allow them to get away with it. 
For more, we are joined by Daniel Levy, who you just heard in that clip, president of the U.S. Middle East Project, former Israeli peace negotiator with the Palestinians at Taba under Prime Minister Ahud Barak and at Oslo B under Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. He co-wrote a piece with Zaha Hassan for the Irish Times, headlined, The Outside World Must Walk Israel Back from the Abyss. It Cannot Be Part of the Choir of Incitement. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Daniel Levy. We only have a few minutes. President Biden is arriving in Israel tomorrow. He'll be meeting with Netanyahu. Can you talk about what needs to happen, what Netanyahu needs to do? You were the um, peace negotiator and advisor to uh, the office of the former prime minister. Can you talk about what Israel needs to do and what the U.S. needs to do? Well, first of all, it's good to be with you. Israel needs, as we have heard just now from Sari Bashi, to operate within the confines of international law and international humanitarian and to not collectively punish the civilian population of Gaza. And then it has to address the ongoing crimes being committed under the occupation. That is not the mood in Israel right now. And it wasn't on October 6th before the the horrific events of October 7th and before everything that has transpired since. Therefore, it will be for the U.S. administration to do the thing that it has conspicuously failed to do historically and which was a significant contributor to how we got here in the first place. Because according Israel impunity, guaranteeing that there can be no accountability for what Israel does, has been the worst lesson one could possibly impart, the worst political guidance, and it contributed not to everything that's gone wrong, but it also contributed to the hubris and complacency, which I think were a major part of how October 7th happened. So you're going to have the public messaging of President Biden, and I fully expect him to wrap his arms around the Israeli leadership and their people, show empathy, and he should. The first thing to say is, if he fails to humanize Palestinians, to show empathy to Palestinians, to speak of Palestinian pain and suffering, which is all too real, and we heard Raji Sarani, then he is, by sins of omission, encouraging the kind of, I don't use this word lightly, genocidal language that is proliferating right now, and that is incredibly dangerous to everyone. So that's in public. In private, I hope, my hopes aren't high, I have to say, but what needs to happen is a strong message to the Israelis. It will have to go public if necessary of what they can and cannot do and how do we prevent a broader escalation, not only on the northern border where many people are anticipating, and not only in terms of stopping what's going on in Gaza, but we've just heard, and I think we have to take a long, hard look at what might happen and what is already happening in the West Bank and inside Israel itself, where people are terrified on all sides. But what you see is an impossible set of circumstances for the Palestinian citizens of Israel. Um, You have said, we do not say this lightly. If the international community doesn't intervene to stop what's coming, we could be watching a combination of mass killing and forced expulsion in real time. Elaborate on this. Well, I think we've 
heard what is going on right now in terms of the killings of Palestinians. And, you know, that number goes up all the time. The number of children go up all the time. And what you've seen on the Israeli leadership declarations is a real refusal to draw a distinction between combatants and civilians. And we have heard a lot of talk coming out of Israel in the last years, and it is only intensified, including after October 7th, of a second Nakba, of a second forced displacement of Palestinians. Israel has gone through an interesting transition where first the Nakba was denied, and then it was embraced as something that needs to be completed, not by everyone. I want to make that very clear. But that threat is real, and it doesn't just hover over Gaza, which has largely been cut off from the broader expanse of Palestinian territory anyway. And so that is why we raised the alarm bell and called on internationals not to join this choir of incitement, because it is the road to hell for everyone. If Israel is going to exist in that part of the world, then it has tied its fate to the Palestinians in that part of the world. And it cannot be zero-sum because what we are doing is just creating more and more hatred. And you step back from that. You don't propel yourself further into it. We have 30 seconds, Daniel Levy. Your message to the U.S., to Israel, to Palestinians and the world. Step back from the brink in the immediate term and then get to grips with the fact that Palestinians who live without hope, rights, the ability to plan a future are not going to succumb to that. It doesn't justify anything, but we have been warning for years that this will explode, and it has, and now we need a different approach. Daniel Levy, president of the U.S. Middle East Project, former Israeli peace negotiator with the Palestinians. That does it for our show. Democracy Now! currently accepting applications for our video news production fellowship. Go to democracynow.org for more information. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Thanks so much for joining us.